right. Um, we are a good ways into 2018 now. Do you have any candidates for uh, album of the year? Um, I really like Hive Mind by the Internet. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I heard they had a new one out. Yeah. Um, gosh. Though, other than that, it's hard for me. I'm blending 2017 2018 together a lot mm-hmm. uh, recently. Um, but that is definitely the... Oh, well, actually, um, Kamasi Washington's Heaven and Earth would also mm-hmm. be a contender. Uh, but I'm really excited to see what uh, Brock Hampton releases uh, with the best years of our lives. Mm, so cool. I'm definitely holding out on making a bigger list until that releases. When does that come out? I'm really behind. I actually don't think they have announced a date yet. Uh, it was okay. supposed to be like a... It sounded like an end of summer thing because they had planned to release music all summer and then, um, I guess, drop the album at the end of the summer. And they've done mm-hmm. three or four singles so far. And mm-hmm. presumably the whole thing will be in like uh, any time now, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're on a European tour right now and they've said they're still working on it. Hmm. Hmm. I'm super behind when it comes to music of this year. Mm. Um, I think, like, the most recent thing I heard was Adult's um, Detroit House Guests, but that was, like, the second half of last year. Um, I was pretty fond of that. That had a lot of um, had a lot of interesting guest appearances doing, mm. um, um, doing their odds and ends. So I thought that was pretty good. But um, I don't think I've actually heard that much from this year yet. I'm interested to hear that... Um, the internet has a new album um I, I heard whispers that they did but i haven't actually heard it for myself yet mm-hmm. um some of my friends are big into the new sleep album and that's not usually my kind of thing but i heard it and i was kind of fond of that as well um as someone who's not really into stoner metal um it did something <laughs> for me so yeah cool um, um yeah my genre pool is pretty shallow because uh, I can so seldomly listen to music anyway because I'm always mm-hmm. making it as, <laughs> yeah. as work. Uh, so I kind of stick with people I know or or uh, mm-hmm. people that have been directly recommended to me. Mm. Yeah, I used to make music myself, um, and I don't anymore um, out of like a mix of uh, anxiety and just wanting to do different things. So mm. I've, I've really had my finger on the pulse. Um <laughs> a number of years ago but um but i don't at the moment and like um the zeitgeist has really shifted um here in the uk as well so a lot of the people who i knew who were making music aren't really doing that anymore either and it's just like "Mm, well no (laughs) so um just feeling like uh feeling like an old man at the moment (laughs) so you're um you're about to head out of town huh yeah um going to Seattle for a week um, mm-hmm. taking a few days ahead of PAX West which is the main reason I'm going to be there because oh, uh, right, I really yeah. like the city I always have a lot of people to see there so I'm going to mm-hmm. take like the first three or four days to walk around enjoy some food and then PAX mm-hmm. I bet will just become that like con bloat of mm-hmm. kind of seeing people and going to panels and stuff, and you're very tired, and then all of a sudden the day's done. <laughs> so I'm trying to get all my Seattle sightseeing in before that. Are you there for work, or are you just uh, going to, to make an appearance? Yeah, I'm not showing any games. I just thought, uh, what would be the one thing this year 
to like blow some good money on and see a bunch of people in one place. And I didn't yeah. feel like going to an E3 or it definitely did not feel like going to GDC. It's too expensive. Mm-hmm. But um, PAX seemed like the right bet. And like based on who is coming, it seems like it's going to be a good time to see everybody. I like to check mm-hmm. in at least once a year with people who are scattered around. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, um, Seattle is great. I was actually trying to move there once, but it's mm-hmm. probably gotten too expensive. <laughs> I've never been there myself. Um, I've been to Portland, which is completely different, but mm-hmm. kind of nearish. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I bet, it, I bet Portland has the same overall like like vibe, but has a different mm-hmm. landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wanted to see a PAX that started after I moved to the UK. Um, mm. I went to E3 last year for the first time. Um, I was covering it. Um, as a freelancer and i did not like it at all (laughs) yeah it sounds well so when i was a kid i really wanted to go to e3 because it was like the 90s e3 and it was really the time when like screenshots and magazines of games just did not do them justice and Mm -hmm. but also gave them this kind of like mysticism of like oh my gosh this i can only see this blurry blown out shot of this game but it exists it's out there um Mm. so going to something like an E3 or Nintendo's Space World event uh, always felt like just this ultimate goal, but now that I see E3 in the past two years, and it's finally open to the public, it looks like a real drag. I mean, it looks like it's kind of trying to find its identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the fact that they have opened it up sounds like they don't really know what to do with it, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's days are numbered, but, um, yeah, it it was um it was a lot more crass than i mean, i guess i should have expected it to be crass but yeah it was yeah it's, it's it was weird. a bit much it's like they started at square one of like how to appeal to gamers mm-hmm. uh, when they should be i don't know, take any lesson from any other convention and be smarter than that <laughs> yeah most definitely Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 19 of Misspent Youth, a podcast on video games, why we play, and who we are. I'm your host, Robert Fenner, uh, at MisanthroBob on Twitter, and this week I'm joined by musician Matthew Hopkins, also known as Too Mellow. Um, Matthew, thank you for coming on the show. Hello. Hey, thank you for having me. For our uh, listeners at home, would you like to tell uh, us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes. Uh, I am a musician, a composer for video games, a producer of hip-hop music, and often a remixer of different kinds of music. I was uh, first a drum and bass producer and transitioned to hip-hop, became known for making hip-hop and video game mixes, and then uh, moved into music composing, where I've been doing that for the last four years. I um I actually found your music completely by accident um, a number of years ago. Um, I um, I'm a big fan of the Persona soundtracks, and I've I've got them all. But living in London, I have limited space, and I've got them like stored in boxes under my bed. Mm-hmm. And um, in um, true like 
first world problems fashion, I couldn't be bothered to go find my copy of the Persona 3 OST. So I ended up just like downloading somebody else's. Um, and I downloaded their entire folder, which had like their, which had the remix that you did of Changing of Seasons with uh, Get Low <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Moe Money, Moe Problems. And I was like, yeah. oh, hell yeah, this is wonderful. That's, um, that's really funny that someone has me in with their normal Persona music. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a wonderful um serendipitous uh serendipitous introduction to your uh to your mashups. Um and and to your uh, wider music as well. You've had a couple of you've had uh, uh two uh albums released this year, haven't you? Gosh, I guess so. Yeah, it mm. it really feels like um Memories of Tokyo Toe is my February release and it feels as if I made most of that album last year. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's hard for me to remember, like, oh, yeah, no, that was this year. Um, mm-hmm. Because January and February were mostly, like, finishing touches and, and ramp up um, mm-hmm. via marketing. And then I also recently released Return of the Soul, which is my return to rapping, because people really responded well to that on Memories of Tokyo Toe, uh, whereas previously um, people told me to shut up a lot. <laughs> the particular like, oh, fan, yeah, this particular <laughs> fan base that I had, I mean, I don't know if they're still around or whatever, but when I first became really known, when my like play count went from like the hundred to a couple hundred to like thousands, um, mm-hmm. people did not really want to hear my voice. They just kind of wanted to hear the mashups. And oh, I took no. that to heart. I was like, okay, well, I'll adapt to that. Um, and I was also uh, going through, like, a crisis of, do I have anything meaningful to say? And uh, so it, it didn't really, it helped me relax on that. I was like, well, no one wants to hear my voice anyway, so I won't even try. Mm-hmm. Uh, but recently mm-hmm. with the, um, like, very, very personal songs I did on Tokyo Toe being well-received, um, I decided to... Like, okay, maybe people want to hear about a wide variety of topics, and I actually do have something to bring. Hmm. I can imagine that being, um, like, somewhat of an existential crisis. I mean, back when I was making music, um, a common uh, issue that I encountered, as, as well as some other friends of mine who were, who were making music, was that, like, um, our sort of, like, irony comedy stuff was the most popular um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's fun. And, right? um, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, anything more uh, heartfelt than that didn't really get the same response. So it was like, well, you know, okay. <laughs> hmm. um, so, yeah. So, so yeah, I sympathize how. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, um, <clears throat> pardon me. It's, uh, it, it's great that you were, um, that you're, you know, giving it another shot. And, um, Doing, doing your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I wanted to ask you, um, tell me um, the first game you remember playing that got you into the medium. The first game I remember playing um, would be... The first first game uh, did not get me into the medium. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Um, That's fine, yeah. Is uh, would be like QBasic Gorilla on uh on windows 3.1 i think where okay. you could like do the angle and velocity of throwing a banana as a gorilla and try to hit another gorilla i played that with my dad and wow uh, i don't know this at all 
He also <laughs> had a knockoff uh, Palm system that we would hook up to the TV and play. Um, mm. But that was, it was like, it was weird because it was like someone, my dad being someone who knew about a few games but didn't really play them. Mm. Um, and me being someone who like would be destined to get into a lot of games. Mm. Um but yeah, so I learned about those those weird early ones, and after that, before uh, it was clear that my uh, tonsils were making me sick over and over again, I had like about a straight month of being sick, and during that time, a uh, friend of mine, a girl that lived in the neighborhood, loaned me her and her sister's NES uh, that had some kind of Tom and Jerry game that I don't remember, and I can't track it down for the life of me. And um, Mario Brothers, Super Mario mm-hmm. Brothers, uh, and I was really taken in by like how much there was to Super Mario Brothers. Like it had levels and it had progression, and it felt like a world that you could either sit around in or progress. Um, so that was like the beginning of my interest, and mm-hmm. I was able to really late. Uh, in the cycle of it, finally owned my own Super Nintendo around like 1995, and it came with Super Mario World and Pilot Wings. It was from my my hairdresser's son, who was like giving up video games entirely. He was just like, I'm done with this. So <laughs> okay. I got I got the Super Nintendo and those two games and like 12 issues of EGM shoveled off of me. Mm-hmm. And for the next year and two years, um, I read those issues of EGM over and over again, and like figured out what. Super Nintendo games I wanted to get and then like slowly got one game every three months or whatever Mm. Um, and got into games that way later on found emulators and computer games which is a way to play some of the more expensive like JRPGs Mm -hmm. Um, like Final Fantasy 6 was something I had seen that there's an advertisement in uh, early EGM that was like (laughs) um, Mog the Moogle in front of a bunch of like huge dead creatures and it was like an advertisement for the game to be like really badass like, did you uh did you ever see the tv commercial with mog uh i did uh later <laughs> on yeah with like the realistic like puppet mog or whatever it was yeah with like the danny devito voice oh my god yeah <laughs> it was so weird how that game was marketed and like mm. i don't know like final fantasy 6 isn't entirely without like that sense of like humor about itself Mm, it's a very particular kind of humor though it really is it's it's almost like the developers are finally getting tired of like pixel art and Mm. and uh wanting to comment on like yeah we know this is a ridiculous thing that you're doing right now but deal with it (laughs) like recycling objects from other parts of the game just like yeah we get it you get it let's just do this Um, so, so what sort of games were you uh, drawn towards from uh, pouring over EGM in uh, in these early days? Uh, uh, the one I was most drawn to is one that I found like organically by chance, um, which was Super Metroid. Mm. Uh, still, still a very important game to me. Although um, I'm not as much for Metroidvanias as I, I uh, originally was. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so the way that I found Super Metroid was at a uh, the church that my family went to for, I don't know, about four or five years before we stopped going. Um, 
and there was a Super Nintendo there that had Super Star Wars, which is a fucking, like, good art, but extremely hard game. Mm. <laughs> um, Super Metroid, Tetris, I think it must have been, like, Tetris Attack, because I remember you matched colors instead of uh, shapes. Um, and I think that was it, and I got a chance to play Super Metroid once, but... All the other times, people would, like, uh, mob the system and choose a two-player game, which, mm. to be honest, is probably the way that, like, a game room of a social setting should go. I mean, but Super I, Metroid I just, in a communal space seems, uh, um, yeah. It's the worst, because yeah. no one wants to watch you play, the atmosphere isn't right, it's a slow game with, like, a whole intro and everything, mm. uh, but I was fascinated by it, and so what would happen is that I would get very excited to go to church, and... Uh, go to church early so I could get into Super Metroid first. And my mom, I think, mistook that for yeah, being really into religion. Um, <laughs> so I kind of went on in that way until I was finally able to get a copy for myself. And uh, yeah, um, once I got to explore Super Metroid, it, I was also getting into like the Alien series of movies. At the yeah. time, because there was that one kid in our elementary school who was able to see, like, R-rated movies and would, like, pass mm -hmm. on facts to us about them. Uh, so I was, like, writing alien fan fiction because I couldn't actually see mm -hmm. the movies. So I figured I'd just do my own story. Um, and at the same time, I was playing this game Super Metroid, which I knew had, like, extreme reverence for the Alien series. So I was mm -hmm. so close to like knowing what Alien actually was. I just had this game to go on. And I like pretended it was part of the Alien story. Um, but I just enjoyed like the atmosphere and how much it was relying on you to draw your, your meaning out of it. Like nothing talked to you, nothing told you what was going on. Uh, the sounds were weird. New areas were extremely foreboding and like you would find new enemies that you didn't immediately know how to defeat. Um, I think that that game is just kind of perfectly designed for progression into, like, a world that is mysterious. It's extremely moody in a way that other games of that era weren't. And even um, even Metroid on the NES before it had, like, you know, this quite, like, jolly music to go along with um, you um, exploring this alien planet. And in comparison, Super Metroid was just very stark. Um and I don't remember really there being anything else like that, at least not on consoles in those days. Um, and um, I was, um, I was, I, I must have played that around 94 or 95 as well. I was big into the Wonder Boy games, um, which mm -hmm. was kind of like the prototypical uh, Metroidvania in a sense. Um, and um, while those were like a lot more lighthearted and free and easy. It was like with with Metroid, with Super Metroid, it was like, okay, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> you know, figure out figure out the rules of this um, hostile hostile alien planet, and you know, you're in this giant space. Uh, navigate it, navigate it at your will. You know. Yeah, it um, was. I didn't think much of it at the time, but like mm. first discovering like areas I could not go to yet or things I couldn't do um, that game was able to make it so natural whereas nowadays if I play a Metroidvania I go into a room and I'm like oh yeah this is the thing mm -hmm. 
Uh, but for that game, it was like, ah, oh, I do not have this ability yet. Or this is dangerous, I cannot go here. It felt like part of the world in a way that is kind of, uh, like, worn off now. Mm. So do you feel it's just, like, overexposure uh, or uh, just overfamiliarity with uh, with the genre that has um, kind of put you off Metroidvanias as a whole? Yeah. These days, I feel like it's better. And I didn't necessarily, like, fall in love with this game like some people did, but um, to have something like Breath of the Wild that very early on gives you all the abilities... And the mm. thing that is hard to solve is, like, how to use them. Like, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you come up against in that game, pretty much. There is a way. It's just a matter of you using the tools right. And I think I enjoy that now more mm. than I enjoy just knowing that I don't have the thing. And there are also games that just aren't well designed, so you don't know if you don't have the thing or if you're just doing it wrong. Mm. <laughs> because the game has given you some indication that you don't have everything you need yet. But then also this puzzle is just unclear. Yeah, it's a fine line, I suppose. Um, And, you know, effective level design is what makes that genre shine. Um, But, I mean, there has been so much of it now. I know it's enjoying a bit of a resurgence at the moment. I mean, August alone has seen um, a number of metroidvania inspired games released mm-hmm. um some of which i've enjoyed some of which not no i haven't really done it for me um but yeah um i suppose there's only really so much you can do with with that formula and you know i hate to say that because it feels like that's like a little bit reductive but may- maybe maybe somebody just needs to shake it up i don't know i thought hollow knight was really cool hollow knight is really cool um it's one well, that's of those kind of, games. That's kind of different, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Excuse me. It's one of those games that I think uh, was able to take from a number of games, not just one, and not only take from them, but like take the absolute best lesson you possibly could take, like from a Dark Souls. Like, mm. you know, it's very, it's a very overused comparison to say that something like Dark Souls to the, a comical extent now, but mm-hmm. Hollow Knight really is, in so many ways, just taking like the purest lessons you could learn from that game whether it's like being very deliberate with your actions in battle or the the act of like uh going pushing further into an area that is mysterious and probably dangerous and Mm -hmm. having like a risk reward thing of oh i could stop here or i could keep going um Mm -hmm. and then there's also the the uh huge loss like permanent loss that you can suffer Mm. and i feel what makes hollow knight the strongest is that like it yeah it it borrows a mechanic or two from dark souls but it doesn't you know borrow them all outright and i think what it most effectively borrows is um it's ask of the player to be observant uh you know, because I, I played Salt and Sanctuary a couple of years ago, um, yeah. and I liked it, but that is very much like, okay, this is Dark Souls, but transplanted to a, or transposed to a uh, 2D side-scrolling uh, engine, whereas Hollow Knight is like, okay, so here are some of the the core ideas of Dark Souls, and mm-hmm. let's, um, you know, let's make something original based around that sort of, that that feeling and that requirement of the player. Um, and, you know, in doing so, it came up with something very fresh. 
Yeah, I'm really glad that everyone's finding it now because mm-hmm. I it was one of the games that I took the time to play in 2017 because mm. uh, if I was feeling very burned out that year by how much was out and how much of it wasn't really for me, despite mm. like so many games being like, oh, this is the best thing ever, and if you don't think so, then blah. Um, well, last year and very much this year is like a a year of lots of hype and lots of high profile releases just back to back to back to back. I think it's very difficult to keep up with. We're going to need a few years to calm down from the 2017 uh, volume level that you had to have. Like people who, who are talking about games and, you know, trying like critics or uh, like strong advocates of certain games like me for uh, for near automata, I felt like I had to be very very loud oh, for yeah. that game in a way that I usually am not, even mm-hmm. as the strongest fan, because there's so much like static of other games being praised, or like okay, yeah, everyone who likes video games is probably going to try the Zelda that's out. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really need to pump up that. Um, there's yeah, there's a there's still a volume level like we saw with some of the ridiculous hype around God of War, which is like an okay mm-hmm. game. Um, it, people saying like, "Oh, this takes all the best lessons of all the best games from the last ten years or whatever," and just makes it sound like a a mishmash. Um, I, I don't really need a best of, you know. Yeah. I, I I want something that's. Um, I, you know, I've said this many times before on the show, but like being older and. Um, having more limited time um you know i'd be happy for something that does something new or strange but is small and you know that's that's fine yeah i'm i'm a little uh like worried about that style of game because that's what i want but it seems more and more like game companies are by necessity having to make something that will last um Mm. and like again and again something like like a dishonored 2 or titanfall 2 which are like small six to ten hour games that um, are like big, have big budgets, and mm. introduce like new ideas very constantly. Um, in the AAA sphere, they are kind of sphere. They are not doing so well. Mm. Yeah, that that is a bummer. Yeah, obviously we'll always be able to count on indies. Like I'm really the game I'm most excited for right now is Donut County, which oh, launches. Yeah. It launches pretty much exactly as I'm getting on a plane, <laughs> so I won't be able <laughs> yeah. to play it for a week. But it'll I'm... it'll be out by the time of recording. But I'm very much looking forward to Donut County as well. Oh yeah. By the time of uh, by, by the time of this oh, going Steve. live, rather. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, yeah that that looks adorable. Um, I I'm all for more experiences like that. That looks very kind of Katamari esque um, in a yeah. way that we don't really see these days. Yeah, there's not much of that. And when someone, like, I, I think the, the developer actually evoked Katamari in um, mm. his description of the game. And not everyone does that very often, so it did perk my ears up, and I've been following it since then. So what is your style of game, um, aside from Super Metroid? What, what, what do you look for uh, in the medium? I look for something that, um, alternatively... I look for something that is extremely like challenging and satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other end, I look for just the most calming, I can do whatever at my own pace game. So I'm very, like, both extreme ends of the spectrum. I recently played, like, the Dark Souls Remastered in Mega Man X. 
and mm-hmm. I loved both of those. Um, but then, you know, I wanted they're quite to demanding. Play. What's that? They're both yeah, they're, quite demanding games. Th- in their own they way. are. You have to pretty much perfect them. And then I went to play. Um, let's see, Loco Roco came out, and um, this essentially visual novel game called Tokyo Dark on the PC. Oh yeah. Like two, two just very chill. Um, do whatever you want at your own pace game. So I definitely go back and forth between wanting that thing that's going to demand everything from me and then wanting that thing that's going to demand almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I really like the idea of the chill-out game, um, mm-hmm. and I, I like to see that we're we're getting getting more of those. I mean, I don't know if I'd exactly call Tokyo Dark that, but there is a certain sort of relaxation that you get from... Uh, point-and-click adventures that yeah. um, I value very much. Um, but um, like I'm really excited for a Little Dragon's Cafe, which I think has just come out in America um, yeah. and is due out in a couple more weeks um, in, in, in Europe. Um, um, uh, Yasuhiro Wada, who, who has created this game and created the Harvest Moon series, really seems to have this sort of... Um, excitement for uh a game where you just take things easy and um manage uh manage a a business or a farm or a cafe or a shop in a very idealistic uh setting where um you know you just uh take care of the people who come to visit you rather than overcome any you know real um high stakes challenges you know yeah my my only like requirement for a chill out game the one uh, for for them to get really high on my list is f- it kind of doesn't work for me when something like Hohokam or Proteus, something that is just providing a beautiful world but little else. Yeah, um, I want to do it for like an hour or whatever. But the games that are really gonna hit hit me hard are the ones that <laughs> gamify chillness. I guess <laughs> uh, like like Katamari, for example. You're doing this extremely satisfying action in mm. a really wonderful world um for like the the jet set radio games i really enjoy just uh, skating around in this really fun world and just being there um mm. so that's i want i want like the chill beautiful world but i also want to be able to do something in it mm-hmm. no you know i i get that as well that's that's also part of why um uh, Hohokam and uh, Proteus in particular didn't really work for me, um, and it's like why um, it's like why I'll take Dragon Quest Builders over something like Minecraft. You know, I, I mm-hmm. want like a little bit of guidance or a little bit of narrative. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I always wanted to play those My Summer Vacation games. Um, those never came out in the West, but there was there was Attack of the Friday Monsters on 3DS a few years ago, which was like yep. Did you play that? I did. Yeah, that that was fascinating. This sort of like explore this rural Japanese town where, yeah, there's some giant monsters fighting, but just you know, hang out and make some friends and um, you know, uh, play some cards with them and yeah. see what your dad is up to. It's 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 great. It's so <laughs> it's so other. It is. It's it's really a game that. You know, almost like the the Persona series will kind of try to build a town around, like, your JRPGing. They will build, Mm. like, people to see and places to go. Attack of the Friday Monsters built that around, like, a a narrative. 
mm-hmm. being the game. You know, you can go to the TV station every day and progress the monster plot, or you can do other stuff. Hmm. It's it's fascinating, um, and um, I'm I'm always thrilled to see to see more experiences like that. I guess you know we're probably going to see more of that through the uh, through the the uh, indie sphere um, rather than you know the fully you know um, high profile uh, published projects. But you know who knows? I mean, Stardew um, was mm-hmm. very high profile over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, you know more and more. Wouldn't... Um, mm. AAA developers, or um, I guess AAA studios, are like bringing indies under their wing with like mm. something like Sea of Solitude. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, really interesting looking games finally coming out with AAA backing. Mm. Um, like Tokyo Dark itself is getting a remaster this year for consoles, isn't it? Um, well, that's some good. Additional content because yeah, I think, I think it, it was just on uh, on PC. Yeah, but that I think that has Square Enix behind it now. So it does. It's yeah. uh, Cherry Mochi, mm-hmm. and uh, I think yeah, it does have Square Enix backing. So you're you're a musician. You make music for games. Um, is that something that you always desired to do, or or when did when did you when did you decide that you wanted to do that? Um, so it's kind of silly. Uh, but no, um, I didn't ever think of what I could bring to games when it was right there. Um, I made games in like RPG Maker when I was younger. Um, okay. Made every part of the game, you know, did my bad art, my okay writing. <laughs> um, but I was trying to pursue. Was this back when you could only uh, when you could only bootleg um, RPG Maker, or was this a little bit after that? I don't know, but I definitely bootlegged it, no matter mm-hmm. what. <laughs> or it's got some it's pretty, it's pretty recent that you've actually been able to buy it. Like, I think, like, maybe less than 10 years? Yeah, I was... I think I just Googled, like, game engines or something and downloaded all the free ones and tried them all. Mm. Uh, so wherever I was getting an RPG Maker from, I think it was, like, 95 or something, mm. um, it was free. And, yeah, I would mess with that, and I would write... I wrote a novel when I was younger. I would make music, um, and I would eventually get into doing video. And I did videography for a few years, um, and even worked at a TV station before I quit to become full-time music. Um, And music was, I think, the one that, like, something bit the hook, and I decided to go with it. Um, but it still wasn't, even though I was literally thinking like, okay, I'm combining video games and my interest in music, I still did not consider, oh, what if I just try to write for video games? Mm. Until I read this um, this article, which I have since mentioned to many other composers who are also like, yeah, I read that too. Um, this article, in, it was written for Kotaku, where uh, I wish I knew who wrote it. Someone uh, interviewed... Um, Danny Baranowski about getting into composing for indie games and how he transitioned from trying to compose for film where no one was paying him enough to mm. video games and finally was like seeing profit and the article was essentially in 2009 or whatever it was pumping up indie games as like the big way for composers to get on mm. so it looks like this um, may have been a, a, a Kirk Hamilton piece mm-hmm that sounds right because Kirk Hamilton is usually like the music writer. Um, it 
is like I feel like any time that anything indie is said to be the new wave, it's almost already too late in reality to get onto <laughs> right. the wave. But you know, I was lucky enough to, after uh, my exposure from my remixes, get involved with uh, Read Only Memories, and you know, very shortly after that, a few other games. Um, I I've noticed um, a, a a wide range of. Um sounds and approaches that you take to your various projects um like read only memories has this sort of um not quite 16 bit maybe like red book audio sega cd quality to fit with um that game's um influences and um motif but with like you know sort of um cyberpunk hip-hop setting um i noticed um the ghosts of miami um soundtrack that you did has kind of a more like it's hollow disco upbeat sound mm-hmm. um so like um what are your um what, what are your influences when it comes to games music it's probably a really ridiculous question to ask <laughs> no um i have a like in my in my mind it's literal now but i had like a hit list i was building of like here's the styles that i want to hit at some point in my career mm-hmm. before i die or whatever <laughs> it was very i've always been very, <laughs> very serious. serious yeah even I do not remember a time when I was not serious. Like even when I was like nine or ten, I was like, "Am I going to do this before I die?" Um, I, <laughs> That's good to have um, goals. Yeah, yeah, it's not, not weird at all. Um, I have the Silent Hill games on that list, making mm. something unique within a horror sound, um, because I truly think that Akira Yamaoka's take is like adding trip hop to horror was like the weirdest, most un natural thing at the time mm-hmm. um just getting ahead of trip hop's own descent into horror with like tricky's albums um and beyond that the jet set radio series is obviously really inspirational to me because i like the uh japanese interpretation of big beat electronica and hip-hop Mm, that sort of Shibuya K influence on, uh, yeah. or that sort of Shibuya K twist on Western influenced uh, yeah. urban music. It's it's a fascinating blend. Oh yeah, I only recently became aware that like that movement was behind because I didn't know that word. Uh, that movement was behind uh, pretty much a lot of the music that I like from that time. I just kept okay. calling it. Yeah. I kept calling it the weird time uh, <laughs> in in which uh, Japan just became in love with hip hop. Mm. But then my uh, friend and fellow composer, Krista Lee, told me about Shibuya K. I was like, oh, okay, this all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Chiba Mato were a favorite of mine um, mm-hmm. in the 90s. You know, they're an American band, but with two um, with two Japanese M- MCs. Yeah. Um, and they really, they really brought a unique sound um, with their albums. And they continue to. They're, I think their latest album was 2014. Um, and that was transformative and strange, but still true mm-hmm. to their style. But like the rest of what was happening, you know, in Japan itself, um, kind of uh, followed suit in a way um, mm-hmm. that you know melded this sort of street fashion with a very um, particular sensibility. It's like time and place, I suppose. Yeah, it's almost like uh, so something. I uh, tweeted about recently it was like how a lot of hip hop references in games are like downright offensive usually mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Um, maybe without knowing it, of like, hey, let's add a cute hip hop character, and what you have is like a cultural costume. Yeah, I'm um, thinking about um, Shenmue Two, which was recently re-released oh, yeah. at the moment when you mentioned Shenmue that. Two. I know Shenmue One has Tom in it, but it has Tom. It's literally <laughs> called Tom. Um, and you know, several games like um, I think that one of the No More Heroes, maybe the first one, has like, oh, that's the rap character. And there's tons, there's tons of those where, like, there's a misguided love for, like, hip-hop culture or, like, funk or whatever. But for the yeah. Shibuya, K game, Shibuya K games, for, like, Parappa the Rapper and Jet Set Radio, it was, like, a pure love of the aesthetic without yeah. like, tripping over cultural mistakes. It's very, it's like, really let's cool. not do something that's, like, we like it, but it's foreign and funny. It's yeah. more like this is something that yeah we have reverence for and that we're going to um yeah it's a you know the difference between homage and um uh uh, appropriation yeah exactly um and i try to uh to stick to that as well um because you know the other thing that i'm doing is i want to make great hip-hop music Mm -hmm. um in both like rapping and making beats um and the act of sampling, which I, uh, you know, act in a lot, is very, very tied to like the idea of doing an homage of something versus just taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to think about that in pretty much everything I do, um, because I'm often like referencing video games, and I don't want it to get in a way that's like noxious and uh, yeah, just seems like I'm uh, preying on people's love of this other thing. Hmm. Uh, so I do have to think about about straddling that line a lot, or just being on the complete right side of it. Hopefully, hmm. um, I mean it's important to be conscious, uh, conscious. But um, you know, when you have such, um, mm, well, you know, it, it's it's important not to be complacent. But I think when you have um, a a reverence and an understanding of a movement, I mean, that's probably probably helpful towards working in that sphere yeah i've been listening to to rap music and its inspirations and its sample sources also enjoying those Mm. um for for most of my life so i do feel like i have an appreciation for the music that goes beyond like i'm making a beat out of this um Mm -hmm. and i have appreciation for the way that like uh, nerdy interests have affected my life uh, personally hmm. um, in a way that's beyond like oh I just wasn't into the stuff that other people were into you know that's the worst tack you can possibly take yeah that's it's like, very oh, okay yeah you're really unique gatekeepy I'm going to um, exclude myself out of a, uh, a you know want to be different rather than wanting to share something I suppose I mean, even within my my band camp you can find releases where I fucked that up because uh, I did <laughs> I did um the uh, EP based on the Game Center CX show, mm-hmm. and I have it, it is basically a series of challenging games played by a older man to comedic effect, and like a lot of it is is kind of gatekeepy in that like we're we're watching someone fail at these hard games, kind of making fun of them, 
but in the EP that I did, I had a few lines that were definitely like, hey, if you can't aim with these older games, you don't really know how to play games. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a thing that is accurate because those games were sometimes barely tested. <laughs> um, yeah, especially in the case of a lot of what um, RNO played on Games yeah. Under CX. So it was just like, you know, people talk about Nintendo hard, but a lot of it is just like obnoxious. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's often framed as like well, that's when games were real, or whatever. But mm. it's it's really more like I think we're finally starting to move away from that. This this very short like asset short game had to last like at least five or six hours, so it had mm. to be this hard, or or just uh, there wasn't really formal testing. So if the developers could mm-hmm. play the game pretty easily, they thought it was fine. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're finally starting to move away from that sort of. Um, revenants for things that weren't exactly that good just because they were there first um at least you know in the game circles that i um interact in (laughs) um yeah i'm sure it's still probably there's still probably some like elitist um elitist types out there but um i mean i'm always interested in people who will straight up tell you something is like like I can't recommend this, but I think it's fucking great. Yeah, uh, I think I'm most interested in critics who like hold on to that one game that they will defend with their lives, but like also not recommend. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, um, do you have your example, own uh, game of that? Uh, my own game like that? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, at this I'd point, I put you on the spot here. I realize. At this point, I bet it would be something that I can't recommend for like supporting it um like one that comes to mind immediately is the uh the neverhood the game by doug to it's like a oh yeah claymation point and click adventure made by what turned out to be a horrible man yeah night- nightmare person um really and <laughs> really mean person and there are like s- suggestions in his work of going that way um but I still think the game is like one of the most wonderful things to exist in like its soundtrack and its world. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've never, unless you count like the Jet Set Radio games, which Jet Set Radio Future is really hard to find. So I wouldn't push it on anybody like you have to play because you basically have to have an old Xbox or be able to emulate it on a 360. There's all kinds of barriers. Um, mm. a, a game more to like what I'm talking about is... Uh, for example, Austin Walker's game is uh, it's the uh, editor of Waypoint. Um, his game is uh, Dragon's Dogma. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. It's like a weird, quirky RPG with like a lot of flaws and a lot of messiness, but also some really astounding ideas. And It's a strange one. It came out sort of like back-to-back with Dark Souls, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I remember snagging it for like less than less than five pounds in a sale um, a number of years ago, and it never really gelled with me. But um, Austin is somebody whose writings and opinions I really respect, so I've been meaning to give it another look. But exactly, I've, I've, I've just been talked there. over you, so please continue. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I I've been there and I couldn't do it, but I I love hearing about like whatever people want to tell me about their one game, even if I never will play it. Or I don't think it's actually for me. Mm. I just love the idea of of like going against the current. Mm-hmm. As long as it's phrased in a way that's better than like 
a bunch of people subtweeting a game release and saying, actually, this is the one you should play. Right, yeah. It's a little um, shallow it's, for me. It's, it's so easy to say that, like, this is better than this because it's not it, rather than... Or it's the know. rare one that five people played or whatever. There's, there's like, uh -huh. a contrarian nature mm. <laughs> that I think people don't realize I, they do sometimes. I have like, to be careful not to fall into that myself. I know that I was definitely like that a few years ago. Yeah, um, people who play, I, like, rare games and feel... You know, when you see those top charts and GTA Five is still the best-selling game, you feel pissed off, mm. and you want to get out there and shout about your game or, mm. or make sure everyone knows about it. Um, and it's not, it's not you like being actively contrarian, but it can look that way. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. No, I, 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 I really, really get that. Um, I guess my own would probably be Snatcher. Um, because, like, by all intents and purposes, it's a it's it's a Hideo Kojima plot, which means it's bad, and it means that like he watched Blade Runner and took away from it like robots cool robots cool Blade Runner's cooler big guns yeah. and trench coats awesome um, and it's it's sexist and it's pretty racist against the Chinese as well. Um, mm -hmm. However. Um, while his narrative is bad, um, that's like in terms of world building and detail, I think I think Snatcher is kind of second to none in a lot of ways, and just like the amount of time and and uh, work that went into um, turning Neo Kobe City into a uh, what felt like a lived-in place, despite you just, you know, using menu navigation. But, like, here's a bunch of menus in um, the police headquarters computer that will tell you everything you'd ever want to know about this city and how it operates and and what the major landmarks are. Um, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it seems like for, for better or worse, or worse um, what Kojima always has is that if you ask him a question about his world, chances are he will know the answer and it will be a big thing. That he mm. thought about a lot. Yeah, I. He's, he's something else. He he frequently frustrates me, but um, the amount of I don't know. He he really he really crafts his worlds, um, and they're not they're <laughs> they're not always good. They don't always make sense. But he, you know, you can tell that things just aren't. You know, they're not just thrown together. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, and um, you know, even though it is on its surface, like you can see the inspiration, Blade Runner, mm. so clearly, uh, it's clear that he wanted to actually make his own thing. Um, mm. You know, in a lot of the Metal Gear games, you can see echoes of you know action movies or military thrillers, but again, mm. it's clear that it's its very own thing. Yeah, it's it's you know it, it's through this personal lens of his that turns it into something that is um you know quite strange and um it may not always be intentional but i think that's what makes a lot of his games so charming yeah i feel like he wants to see every human life as being like a really unique thing <laughs> all his characters even like the most minor characters can kind of end up becoming big figures in his worlds i think mm. Mm -mm. I remember the first time that really occurred to me was playing, um, I played Police Knots years after I played, um, Metal Gear Solid and seeing that, um, 
that Meryl Silverberg was um, a major player in that game as well that came out, you know, several years before and was pretty much disconnected. Um, seeing that he, I, you know, I'm not sure if he reused that character or, or meant Metal Gear Solid to be like, you know, this character's past, but I, I remember, um, yeah, that, that, that made me look at his body of work in a, um, in a new light. Um, and this sort of, you know, not quite continuity, but okay, I've got these players set up. I'm going to use them. Yeah, you definitely, I mean, you come across even, um, you know, in, in, uh, I'm a fan of Giant Bomb and I've been watching Dan Reichert play through the classic Metal Gear games. And even mm. in those, when you come across a boss, it's not just like, um, it's a figurehead of an organization or something. You just have to beat them. They have their whole story and like where they came <laughs> from, what their goal is, what their like personal goal is beyond like their, their military or financial goal. Um, they have like a sadness, you know, it's, he's famous for like having his boss characters do really long soliloquies after you kill them. Mm. Um, you know, the characters just have so much and it's clear they're supposed to be real people, but also really exaggerated people. Mm-hmm. It's it's curious, and there's there's definitely a lot of missteps, but um, he's he's a unique voice for better or worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Working in game music, how has that differed from your usual uh, production? Uh, whether that be doing original tracks or um, mashups, is there anything you know in particular you've had to take into account while doing the creative process? Well, I kind of never know what someone is going to throw at me. And I pretty much advertise that I can do it all. I think that mm-hmm. at this point, people who come to me want some kind of sound that they've heard from me already. Um, but I hear a lot of unique influences, um, like references. I take those a lot that have become part of my like listening routine, or I've even dived deeper on some of the references that I get. Uh, so it's interesting that I can be introduced to new types of music and then have to make it like, for example, none of the stuff I did for ROM was ever on my hit list of like sounds I want to hit. I did not Mm -hmm. know or care about like (laughs) Sega music. Um, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty much introduced to that at, at a rapid pace and had to like figure out what synthesizers were used and all that. Um, and but that I wouldn't have expected me. that. It's it's um it feels quite genuine, uh taken as a whole. <laughs> That's good. That is it has led to me um exploring a lot of Sega music and thinking, wow, I would have been better off with this as a kid than uh, Super Nintendo music, but that's how it goes. Um and you heard the Fantasy Star Two soundtrack? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh, I thought you, I th- I thought that might be something that would appeal to you definitely um there are sounds in those games that uh i didn't know were even part of game music i guess Mm. at the time because i was just i was so far away from the experience of genesis i think literally all i knew about it is sonic and that it had better versions of some sports games Mm. which i did not play so (laughs) um and yeah so so something like that getting a window into a new musical world Whereas with my own albums, I'm obviously just trying to pursue these sounds that I'm already aware of and love. Hmm. Um, that 
working with someone who has different musical tastes can give me new goals and force me to like learn about new things um so i think the the difference of being a composer versus just being a musician is that mm. you are pretty much going to have to learn to work outside of your comfort zone mm. Mm. um and um is that something that you get to grips with pretty quickly i mean how does that make you feel um it did happen pretty quickly after um an awkward process with my first composing job of like maybe one or two months where I wasn't really nailing the tone I did finally figure it out and I took strategies from how I eventually got there and applied them to how I asked people questions on my other jobs um, after mm. that um, like figuring out the right question to draw out what someone really wants versus asking them for references Yeah, that's sometimes you have to go a few layers deeper with someone mm. Mm -mm. yeah i can i can imagine so sometimes uh, it's hard for people to describe the music they like you know i just like it i don't know why <laughs> so um do you have a a uh do you have like a dream project in mind that you would like to uh that you'd like to work on in future i'm kind of uh i've just got my dream projects on a list right now uh, for personal stuff I think, um, like, I'm working on a Silent Hill album right now. Mm. Um, so oh, wow. I do. Okay. There are a few more genres or uh, sounds that line up with, like, the stuff I love um, that I want to pay ode to the same way that I did to Jet Set Radio with my Memories of Tokyo Toe album. Yeah. Um, in, like, a respectful way that legitimately brings something new to a sound that is no longer continued. Um, mm -hmm. I'm specifically going for things that I don't think are around anymore. Like the Silent Hill 2 music, there are um, you know, all these music from the first four Silent Hill games and the others that Akira Yamaoka worked on. Uh, that sound is no longer being continued in any real way. Um, the Jet Set Radio sound is rarely being continued because for some reason nobody's fucking hiring Hideki Naginuma. Um, yeah, that really seems like a no-brainer, huh? Yep. Yeah, um... And uh, the other one I want to do, which is going to be harder, is to pay ode to the Katamari soundtrack, which is maybe the most wide-ranging genre-wise of, of any video game soundtrack. I definitely had oh, yeah. to bounce between rock and hip-hop and electronic on the Jet Set Radio stuff, but for Katamari, it's from like jazz to samba to um, orchestral classical stuff to like almost... <laughs> cathedral-like music. It's it's a very strange um, compilation of just like, hey, it has to be eclectic and cute and happy, um, yeah. but it can come from anywhere. So um, I want to take that undertaking, you know, probably hire some session musicians to help me flesh it out and make it like as lively as it needs to be. And that's I would imagine be that being quite an intimidating one with, um, yep. you know, just how freeform and consistent in tone but widely varied in approach that yeah. katamari it, that is you know codifies a katamari soundtrack yeah the people i'm taking on i'm taking head on things that could could destroy me really um <laughs> you know no one believed i could do it just at radio thing justice uh no one people message me almost every day saying are you really doing a silent hill thing I, are you really you memories of tokyo toe's boss 
<laughs> yeah, uh, people. So people are like heavily doubting stuff, um, but I think that uh, even when I like dare to evoke the name of Katamari, people are like, oh, "I'm excited to see what you do with it." So mm. I have something there. I have people who believe that I could. Um, mm. Yeah, and oh, I yeah. just want I want to continue this stuff that I love for me for myself. And for the people who love it, like I legitimately listen to Memories of Tokyo Toe, and I'm glad it exists as a continuation, as a fan. Um, and I want to to make more stuff like that. Um, being being also, able to look back on your own work like that, I think, is an important um, important thing to be able to do. Yeah, it doesn't always happen, but I don't think I'll ever be like embarrassed of something like Tokyo Toe. Um, mm-hmm. or think like, oh, I could have done better, which I could have, and I will. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, so those are my own dream projects right now. That's as far as I can look ahead. Um, mm-hmm. My ultimate dream is to become uh, someone who just studies music samples all day and makes like instrumental hip hop for nothing mm-hmm. for no one and gets paid <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Uh, but until then, I'll do these things that are like high in demand. Um, and I would also love to be a part of an official or unofficial relaunch of any of the the types of, of games that I love. The Jet Set mm. Radios, the Katamari. Um, I have legitimately put out feelers and I have people watching for me to see if anything happens with Jet Set Radio. Mm. So that I can try to get attached to that. Um, that would that would be dreamy. That would be wonderful yeah. to see that res- make a resurgence, yeah. especially because um, in like the Silent Hill, if if anyone were to attempt a horror game of that level again, um, I would I really just want to be involved in any horror game, but especially something like that. It's hmm. uh, very psychological, um, and anything cute and charming like Katamari uh, that has music that wants to like punch through your heart because I think it's a good um, way of putting it yeah. there are many games that have music that is like okay it's quirky or it's cute but it doesn't just fucking rip onto the scene the way that Katamari does um, and I, I kind of try to be loud about like I'm the one for weird music if you want something legitimately weird and uh, unique please come to me I want your idea. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I am, I'm kind of trying to not move away from game composing, but no longer see it as my ultimate goal of like, oh, I, I got to get a job working for some game company or I'm still floating around because my right. recent albums have been successful enough that I don't feel like I'm just floating right now. Um, but mm-hmm. those are the things that I would 100% come back for, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, that's the that's good those are good good goals to have in mind mm-hmm. um when you say your your um silent hill project i take it you mean you know what you mentioned earlier um yamaoka's blend of uh the disquieting and and trip hop or yeah you know? i had um so i had like a, a dream and i'm not usually like this kind of artist <laughs> i guess but I, I legitimately had a dream that woke me up uh way earlier than i wanted to wake up and inside that dream, I had the entire story of this album come to me, and I wrote it all down. And it is what it's going to be is like kind of a mix of a sound effects record of a more aggressively hip hop 
style Silent Hill thing and like an ambient electronic record and it's going to have a story um it's it's going to be the way that I put it to a friend who was asking me about my process is if Yamaoka was tasked today to do a new Silent Hill game what would he do with the current tools that are available with the experience he can look back on so mm. what I'm doing is I'm getting all my tools in place I've got I've spent the last um few months like searching for sample CDs that were used in Silent Hill and like importing them from other countries and um, going oh, wow. to all these forums where people have the samples researched um, and like buying a bunch of new synthesizer things um, to to be able to create those sounds or like work from the same seed that those sounds sprouted from um, because if I if I have all the capability that Yamaoka would have then I can kind of the way that they will often show like he's almost supernaturally good investigator a detective get on mm. the scene of a crime and just like close their eyes and imagine like oh this is where the bullet went or whatever <laughs> and that's that's what I want to do I want to step into the world of Silent Hill and do that as a mm. musician like okay this is what the next Silent Hill would be musically and mm. because there's a story the story relates to um what Silent Hill would be like if taken on by a sound designer? Like, what if someone who was involved in sound and music found the world of Silent Hill? You know, not a writer, not a, um... Yeah, like, is Harry from the original game was a writer? I don't remember mm -hmm. what James's job was. Um, Heather was... I don't story. either. <laughs> I don't... I, James is the least interesting man yeah. in the world. He's all that's interesting about jerk. him is... Yeah, <laughs> the only thing interesting about him is that he's horrible. Um, and Heather is like a struggling teen. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember what the guy from the room was either. He's locked in his room. <laughs> He's locked in his room. Possibly um, more boring than, than James. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to, like, what if there was someone who, who didn't come into Silent Hill because they were haunted by something, um, but who came into it, like, aggressively, like, I want to record this. You know, there's a, um, the sequel to the Blair Witch movie, uh, Blair mm -hmm. Witch 2, Book of Shadows. It's a reviled movie. It's a bad... It has a great concept, but it's a bad movie. The concept was um, something that kind of happened in real life, is what if a bunch of like reporters and photojournalists uh, zeroed in on this area after seeing this movie of just like, hey, let's capture this. Let's catch the Blair Witch on film, or let's do this whole story. I, I basically want someone who has heard stories about Silent Hill to want to go out and do that. This mm. is a world premiere of this information, by the way, <laughs> of, of what my story you, would be. You I heard want it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I essentially want, like, a person who is somewhat interested in the paranormal who wants to find Silent Hill. And as you know, uh, when people want to find Silent Hill, it will provide... <laughs> mm. and it will come to you and I think that uh, there's going to be like a conflict between the world of Silent Hill which I obviously can't even mention by name mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's going to be a, a conflict between this, this town and this man the town is used to having people who who want to find something in it but the town is not used to having people want to like capture it and bring mm. it back. So it's going to be a struggle. 
Uh, I, I love that concept. <laughs> um, is that, have you played any of the Corpse Party games? Uh, I played a little bit of the first one, but I got really frustrated with like the first enemy encounter. Uh-huh. Like the idea of having to move around uh-huh. like a, I'll call it a JRPG style of control. It is to, RPG like, maker, so. Yeah, having to avoid like a creature or it was like a ghost or something with those controls was a lot for me. Um, and the uh, dying in that area was sending me back mm. quite a bit. So I don't know, I might have to watch a video or something. So I didn't really enjoy playing it as much. But I, I loved think- like the scares and the sound effects and everything. I think like only that first game is worth playing. It does have a killer soundtrack as well. Um, oh yeah, like, it oh, does. Only that first game is worth playing, and um, like the protagonists in that game, you know, they're sent into this this hell dimension, dilapidated school by accident. But there's like some characters who show up uh, later who are like, yeah, we know what this is. Let's uh, let's do this uh, curse uh, just to go here and see uh, see all the nasty things there are to see, um, just because you know that's our bag and that's what. Uh, that's what we want to be a part of. Um, yeah. and I like that I like, idea. I like the idea of someone basically doing the Hellraiser thing of like, I've seen everything on this earth and I want something yeah. else. Somehow like AAA games managed to fuck this up and make it boring. Like I feel like every um, game has like, Oh, we found an artifact or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen in my time playing video games so many like long cutscenes with like a ghost figure explaining how they found this artifact and it doomed everyone, <laughs> and somehow they managed to just make it not make me not give a shit about it every time. But the idea of someone who willingly fucks up potentially the entire human race just because they're curious hmm. <laughs> is is uh, really interesting. I think in terms of those kind of stories, like the less detail, the better. Because um, I think there's a, a real... I mean, the, the best thing about horror is when, um, you know, it's unknown and you have to... The the, the a player or the reader or, or the member of the audience who's experiencing it has to fill in the blanks of, um, you know, what what is being implied. And I think, like, if you, if you over-explain and try to, you know, explain away the mystery of you know what this thing is what this does why the world is the way it is um that can nine times out of ten that will be like a downfall um from Mm -hmm. something you know it takes away from the mysterious allure of um abject horror almost it's almost like an antithesis to it yeah i would i would really want um the person who is obsessed with the horror or who's caused the horror to even if they like explain themselves in the most like on the face way possible like the the um narration at the beginning of hellraiser is describing this guy frank as just has tasted all the pleasures of the flesh he did this and this and this and still not enough like if i could Mm. literally have these characters just describe to me the the links that they've gone to to try to like satisfy their curiosity that didn't work i think that would be more horrifying than just saying like oh the artifact (laughs) <laughs> yeah most definitely that that adds a um human angle rather than you know it takes the right. emphasis off the MacGuffin and puts it on desire it sends a chill up your spine because it's like oh yeah. could i ever be like that would there be anything that would drive me that way or or like to to think for a moment about being someone obsessed with something is kind of like a way to scare yourself you know mm. like like imagining that you see something in the shadows 
thinking for a moment about like what if something just suddenly started swallowing up my days mm, mm. it's t- it's scary <laughs> yeah and like not like from a mental illness angle but like from no. um i don't know from like you breaking your own brain or something being so incomprehensible it breaks your brain and and you know yeah. i i try to avoid the sort of um you know the sort of in, quote unquote insanity angle mm-hmm. um but yeah, definitely i i do like the idea of well, i don't know like I don't know, like how the townspeople in Junji Ito's Uzumaki just become more and more obsessed with um, the shape of the spiral. That yeah, sort of I, thing really thrills I, I, me. I hate it when characters are turned into raving madmen just because they became obsessed with something. Because I don't, yeah, think, I don't think that it's <laughs> it's a different thing and sometimes not even a real thing. Um, but yeah, the the example of Uzumaki where people eventually just become like. Yeah, that's how it is. So the spirals are coming through, like like it's weather. And um, mm. uh, there's my favorite moment in the entire book is when um, it has really taken a turn. Like it's it's at the point where I think uh, the wind is like is book become, three, where every where it kind of goes apocalyptic. I have this omnibus uh, yeah. that just kind of puts everything together. But yeah, basically when people like after the hurricane, the huh? Wind, yeah. yeah, after the hurricane, um, there's a moment when. Uh, one one character is like people are uh, moving out of this town really fast. Like everyone's leaving while they can, and it just shows this this old man who's like, "Well, on the bright side, all these houses have opened up. <laughs> and it's really cheap to live here now." And I, I just love love the idea that like even when things are so weird, it's not it's happened so fast that these people just have to accept it. <laughs> Uh, I like the idea of that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I'm I'm a very big fan of uh, Yamaoka's work on Silent Hill. Um, I think the soundtracks he put together are pretty pretty fantastic, and some of my favorites um, favorites in the medium. Um, there was one thing that kind of got me down about his approach, though. Um, like my um, my favorite band is Coil. Um, and I remember reading this interview with him. I think it was after, it was either after the Silent Hill 2 or Silent Hill 3, uh, came out where, um, like from just from my mood to go from like, (gasps) to, oh, um, he's like, uh, one of my big influences coil, but I don't know why any normal person would want to listen to that. And I was like, (laughs) oh man, come on. Uh, so the weird thing, um, about, looking into how Yamaoka made these soundtracks. Yeah. And it's not it's not disappointing to me because I can never be disappointed in someone who does this as a composer myself. He's a rock guy. You know, yeah, he, he making, is. He likes making rock songs. Um, so when he was tasked to make the soundtrack, he ended up kind of stumbling upon this incredible sound by these samples he was using. Mm. Um, and a lot of what you can credit the sound to are like loops and samples from these particular construction kits that I've tracked down. You know, a lot of the trip hop drum loops, a lot of the like deep pad sounds are samples. Um, and I think that you have to give him credit for the way that he put together these things and the mood that he sustained and like the, obviously like the crushing metal drum symphonies of the first game Mm. are like something completely bizarre. Um, and, uh, 
it's almost even more impressive that he doesn't actually like the music that sounds like that, but he still yeah. pushed through and made some of the best of it. Um, mm. Or not that he doesn't like it, but that he, he feels like the things he was making for Silent Hill were inherently inaccessible mm-hmm. to other people, but he was making them anyway. Um, it's, it's weird. It's, it's been a weird thing to, to come to terms with. It's like, oh, it's not quite that he had like this genius idea to put trip hop into games. He was kind of just riding several waves and they came together in a weird way mm-hmm. or to put trip hop into games, to put trip hop into horror, to mm-hmm. like think of horror, think of a scene where someone is describing like how they're going to birth this God in pain is actually the way forward to pleasure. And the back is just like a funky beat. <laughs> uh, and like the fact that that came along, not because of like, let's just try this, but more like a concerted effort to make music that was somewhat in with the modern electronic music, but also incorporating these older, creepier sounds. Hmm. No, that, that is, that is a very interesting approach. Um, mm-hmm. I, like I, I guess I didn't really realize exactly how into rock he was for a number of years. Um, so maybe like four years ago, um, he did a he did a Halloween performance here that was billed as um, Silent Hill Live, mm-hmm. and um, my partner and I went, um, and it was very expensive. And um, I guess we expected like some gloomy music concrete uh, mm-hmm. mix of like noise and and hip hop. Um, and it was not that at all. It was just him like shredding on a guitar with some session yeah. musicians, just like really going for it. <laughs> I do love the. It wasn't for um, me at all. <laughs> yeah, I love the like. I, I don't really like rock music, but I like the Silent Hill rock songs um, mm-hmm. because I think they're they all sound kind of gloomy, like very mm-hmm. like fall wintry rock uh, that you would just listen to when you're really sad in a diner or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really uh, got a sense of ennui, definitely. It does. And it feels like a, I guess like a My Bloody Valentine thing. Um, just being like this I really see gloomy, that, yeah. dirgy rock. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like those, even though they're not usually my style. Um, and it's, I guess it makes sense that that is the Silent Hill sound that he would bring forward after working on it. It's like, no, this is the, out of all these sounds that I made, this is the one that I want to like make the Silent Hill signature. Hmm. I mean, it wasn't really that for me, but people seem to be having a good time there and he was definitely having a good time. So I can't really fault him for that. You know, (laughs) Yeah, it's the music that's in the intro of all the games. Usually the big themes are rock. Um, it, the smaller stuff in the game is seems like uh, less loved by him. Mm. Well, I mean, we've all got our approaches and our favorites, I suppose. Yeah, and I will at least be focusing more on that than the rock stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Yeah, Matthew, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Um, and is there anything you'd like to plug before we close out? Yeah, um, my new album, Return of the Soul, Return of the Soul, which I talked about a little earlier, um, is currently on sale at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. There are physical versions and the digital version available. Um, It is 12 tracks of rap music, and I made sure that every song means something uh, to me and is not just 
a reflection of like who I am as a musician, but something personal that I want to get out there that people might not know. So you can go into every song knowing that you're about to learn something new about me. And I think that's something you can't say for every lyrical album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will put a link in the show notes uh, so people can um, find their way to that uh, easily. Um, yeah, and you are um, you are working on something called Later Alligator at the moment, aren't you? I don't know how much you can talk about that. Yeah, um, yeah there hasn't really been anything uh, publicly said, but it is a very cute point-and-click adventure game with mini-games. Um, and it, seeing it kind of reminds me of like the humongous entertainment games like Freddy Fish and Pajama Sam, which I freaking loved as a kid. So I'm so excited to be working on anything that's like that. Um, i got a very quirky soundtrack coming up for it, and I don't want to give yeah, too much details on what it is. But I will just say that like I've never been more satisfied to be receiving the musical references that I am uh, for this project. Oh, it is so awesome. different from what you normally hear from video games. It's going to be like, yeah, it's going to be something very special. Yeah, I look forward to I look forward to hearing it. Um, and you've also uh, uh, regular, regular human basketball dropped earlier mm-hmm. this month. I want to say, um, yeah. and that was was that your most recent uh, soundtrack? I think that's the most recent thing I was able to talk about. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I was able to contribute like an '80s styled hip-hop song to a compilation mm. of that style of song for regular human basketball which is kind of a really so good some, party game some very cool synths and and vocoded <laughs> vocals on that yeah yeah um i i recommend that uh folks listening check that out i'll also put a link to that in the show notes that's a very um that's a very bizarre um as matthew said party game where <laughs> um you're controlling giant robots trying to play basketball it's um it's definitely a treat uh, and also pretending that there's nothing wrong with it and it's absolutely not normal completely normal (laughs) um folks you know where to find us we are on uh twitter at you are my pod and on the web at misanthropop.com uh and um you know as usual uh i will be back next week with another host um So uh, once again, uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time.